All right, well, this morning, we're going to examine two very important elements of biblical hospitality. This is a good day. You guys did a great job with the hospitality table, and then Mike brings 40 brisket sandwiches, and this is perfect for today. <laughs> um, and so we're going to look at this really short story narrated by Luke about two sisters, two really dear friends of Jesus. But each of the two sisters who welcome Jesus into their home as their guest have very different ideas of what hospitality means. So we're going to get to look at these kind of twin sides of hospitality. Now, I really enjoy extending hospitality to guests. I like having people over. I actually love to cook. Um, mostly, I love to cook because I love to eat. I think that's the truth. Um, and so welcoming guests means that I get to cook good stuff, like stuff that I really want to eat that maybe we don't always get to eat all the time. But we all know extending hospitality is really hard work, right? It's really hard work. So I thought about this. I'm like, when we know that we're going to have people over, we put in the work. Katie and I make a grocery list. We're going to walk through. Katie, we'll see if I get this right. We'll sit down and we'll make a grocery list for all the things that we need, and Katie will go shopping. While she's shopping, I will usually mow the yard, clean off the patio, wipe down all the furniture, put things away, and get things in order. She'll come back with all the stuff, um, and then she likes to clean, she, this particular, she likes to clean the bathroom. Everything, the bathroom needs to be clean. And while she's doing that, I'll usually start the food prep. I'll start chopping and cooking and making marinades and seasonings, whatever. It takes hours hours to prepare to welcome people into your home. And so at the end of these evenings, we still have cleanup to do. Not the fun part. Um, our house, when we do this, usually looks like a tornado hit it. By the time we finish cleanup, we're so exhausted, we usually just go to bed, like earlier than normal, you know? And so we have these two things. We've got the hard work that represents one of the sides of biblical hospitality. It also is represented by one of the sisters, Martha. The other side of hospitality, simply being present with your guest, is the other side of hospitality, represented by the younger sister, Mary. And so as this story unfolds, the drama thickens, as it often does when siblings are involved. So get ready to be surprised by Jesus again. Let's pray. Bless you. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path that you place before us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Here we go. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. It's short, but there's some good stuff in here. Jesus is passing through one village after another. He's on his way to Jerusalem. 
He's just a few miles outside the city gates where he uh, finds his friends, Mary, Martha, also their brother Lazarus, probably all lived in this house. Now, hospitality is extremely important in the biblical world. It was synonymous with kindness. This is hospitality, by the way. The thing we need to know is this isn't just family and friends. Biblical hospitality also stretches to encounter total strangers. This is a a really important cultural thing. And so it was really highly valued. It was practiced by not just Christians. It was practiced by Jews and pagans as well. Super important. And so here's, here's some things that were expected of someone when it comes to hospitality. Food, which we're good at. Protection. Gifts. Shelter and other amenities. This is just the expectation of the first century world. Okay? So anybody, now I did not know this. I'm going to confess. I just thought it was interesting. Anybody know who the Greek god of hospitality is? Andrew? Well, if it is, then I'm wrong. (laughs) So one of us is wrong. Look it up. You probably have your phone. You can find out in 10 seconds, see if I'm right. I think it's Zeus. And this surprised me if I'm right. And if I'm wrong, then I've, Andrew, you can just tell me and I'll skip this part of the sermon, all right? And so I think he was actually known as the protector of guests. Like, I had no idea if if this is true. Um, But here's the idea in ancient Greek culture, whether it's Zeus or whoever Andrew said. (laughs) Um, Ancient Greek culture, this is the idea of hospitality. You extended hospitality to the stranger because you never knew if that stranger was, in fact, a deity in disguise. Okay? And so in Greek culture, this is really important. You extended hospitality to everyone because you never knew who it was that you were really extending hospitality to and how that reward might come back to you. Now, of course, we're like, oh, this is is strange, but but let's think about this, the Judeo-Christian tradition. Hospitality says something that's similar. It's not the same, but it's similar, and you'll you'll hear it in the Bible. It says, in Christian hospitality, says that when we welcome a guest, who are we welcoming? We welcome none other than Jesus. This is what Christian hospitality says. If you want to see this play out in Scripture, look at something like Matthew 25, where Jesus says, when you welcome and minister to the poor, the sick, the naked, right? Who are you welcoming? Jesus says, you welcome me. That's right. And so in our story, the guest doesn't just represent Christ. The guest is Jesus. He's coming to dinner. And Martha starts off pretty well. She welcomes Jesus into her home. She's prepared her home. She's busy cooking and serving while her younger sister sits idly by at Jesus' feet, hanging out without a care in the world, leaving all the work to her older sister. Does this get anybody? Is anyone starting to get worked up over this? Like I was. I'm an older brother. So there's some traditional gender roles here that get deconstructed, and this is important to this passage. Rather than assuming the role that was expected of women in the first century, Mary assumes a very different role. She takes her place with Jesus, and Luke is deliberately doing this. I'm telling you, this is important. She assumes the posture of a student learning from her rabbi. This is a role traditionally only reserved for men. And so in more contemporary times, this is something I learned too. I didn't know this. In more contemporary times, this story was instrumental in the women's movement and women fighting for the ordination of female pastors. Okay? 
actually, I really didn't know that. This is something I learned reading this this time around, and when I look at it now, I can see why. So many people cheer for Mary, right? She subverts traditional gender roles. Other people empathize with Martha, you know, because she got stuck doing all the hard work. Our instincts tell us that Mary should get up off her lazy butt and help her older sister, right? This is where I'm, this is what I'm thinking. Our instincts will say, like, come on, Jesus, don't get mad at Martha. Like, she's working hard to serve you. But Martha violates hospitality rule number one. She causes a public scene, right? Like, you can't do this. This is a big no-no. She rebukes her sister. And then even worse, she involves the guest in the mediation of a family dispute. Like, if you learn anything from me today, do not work out your family drama when you have guests over. That's one of the things this story says. And don't ask your guests to mediate between two family members. It just doesn't work. You will never have that guest over again, and they probably won't have you over either. Now, she's understandably a little irritated with Mary, right? Mary's not pulling her weight. She's a little upset. This is what I think gets interesting. Not only is she upset with her sister, she's upset with Jesus. She believes that Jesus doesn't care about her. She's thinking to herself, look, if Jesus cared about me, he would tell my sister to get up off her butt and do some work. And she doesn't. So therefore, Jesus must not really care. Now, I'm an older brother, right? So I can relate to Martha. Like, I had to walk uphill to school in the snow both ways when I was a kid, right? My brother got a ride from my mom. I had to do all the chores. I had to pick up the dog poop. I had to take out the trash. I had to set the dinner every single night while my brother got to watch TV and make fun of me while I'm doing the chores. Of course, we both know none of this is actually true, right? I didn't have to do all the chores, but did I feel like that was true when I was a kid? Yes, I did. And might I have said something exactly like Martha did? Come on, mom. Like, why don't you make him pull his weight? Like, why do I have to do my stuff and his stuff? Like, what, don't you care about me? I guarantee it's so dramatic. You know, but I guarantee I did that exact same thing about my brother to my mom. The truth is, of course my mom cared about me. Like, this was on me. Like, I was just young and dumb and thinking the world revolves around me. And so what we see is we see Martha getting it wrong, just like I would have gotten it wrong. Jesus cares about her more than she can ever imagine. But he does have something he wants her to learn. This is where the, the story shifts. He has something that he wants to invite her into. And so his response is a little harsh. It's a little surprising. But look how it begins, the double address of her name. If you say it the way it's supposed to be said, Martha, Martha. It's like this de-escalation technique that Jesus uses to calm her down. His concern is that she's worried and distracted. In her distraction, she missed, she's missing out on a big opportunity. She's unable to respond to Jesus' big invitation. And so this is where words matter. The Greek word here, distracted, I think it does a lot better when we say what it actually means. It means pulled or dragged in multiple directions at the same time. Anyone ever feel like that? Anyone feel like that right now? <laughs> you know? Um, we can relate to feeling like that. And so we live in this hectic world where productivity is everything. Even the best of us measure our worth 
by how busy we are, how much we accomplish, how well we meet the expectations of others. And I was just thinking about this. I do this too. And one good example is when so I see somebody, like I, I, was, I was editing this sermon really early Friday morning at a coffee shop. Someone walks in, a guy that I know from the Young Life Board, and he's like, hey, Rob, how's it going? Good to see you. And I stop and talk to him. And what's my answer? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm really busy. Oh, but I can't complain. It's all good stuff. You see what I'm saying? That's, my, that's like my standard response. Oh, I'm really busy. But, oh, but it's good. Like, I'm living the dream. But you see my, you see my point. Our schedules can be so full of mostly good stuff, noble stuff, even stuff that we're doing for God, but we get pushed, we get pulled, we get distracted by the fast-paced world that we live in, especially here in the suburbs where we have such high expectations for ourselves, for our kids. No wonder we work ourselves into exhaustion. It's no wonder so many people end up in a heap of worry or despair or worse, bitterness or anger. And Jesus in Luke 12, 25 will say these words that we probably have all heard before. And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to the span of your life? Father Richard Rohr, if anyone's read him, kind of an expert in the contemplative Christian tradition, he says that Martha was everything good and right but one thing she was not. She was not present. Not present to herself. She wasn't present to her own feelings of resentment towards her sister. She's got this kind of martyr complex that fueled her need to be needed. And so Father Rohr will also say about her that this is the kind of goodness that does no good. <laughs> And if she wasn't present with herself, how could she possibly be present with her guests? How could she be present with, her, with Jesus? She was badly missing out on the moment that's taking place right in front of her, and she is somewhere else. The present moment was so important to Jesus that he's actually willing to challenge her, his friend and his host, in order to make the most of this teachable moment. Now, when I read this story... This is what I, I wanted so badly to be able to say, I never pull a Martha. I'm not like that. I, I tried, and then I thought about it, and I reflected on it a little bit. And what I realized was that I pull a Martha all the time. Here's how I do it. On these nights when we host guests for dinner, I've already shared that we do a really good job, Katie and I, of like dividing responsibilities. We, re, we work really well together. We prepare uh, but when the guests arrive, what do I do, Katie? You know what I do. Here we go. See? I don't even need to say it. I even tell her I was going to do this. I'll run back and forth between the barbecue and the kitchen for like an hour. Kathy, I do, don't I? See? She's, admit, she's saying she does because she's sitting there, right? <laughs> and I'm running around going back and forth. I'm so busy cooking and working, I hardly have time to say two words to the people who are guests in our home. Like, this is what I say, I pull a Martha all the time. Like, what I came to realize this week is that sometimes I think I too miss out on the most important aspects of hospitality, paying attention to the guests. Like, I communicate food over relationship. I love food. Jesus says, you got it backwards. It's relationship over food. That's the priority. And so Katie has wisely pointed this out to me multiple times. Like, hey, when people come over, maybe you can just like chill out a little and sit down. 
Um, and I'm like, no, no, we, everything has to come out at the same time. It's got to be perfect, and I'm running around and whatever. And it took me rereading this passage to say, oh, she's right. <laughs> she's right. Usually she is. <laughs> Sometimes I'm slow. And so in all her busyness, Martha is, this is, to me, this is like part of the tragedy of this story. In all her busyness, Martha was devoid of the joy of hospitality. She's missing out on the joy of relationship. She's just not fully present with herself or her guest, who's Jesus. Joyless service, what a tragedy that is. I think Jesus' surprising words to Martha should be heard as an invitation to receive joy. Martha needs to learn to be, excuse me, more like her sister Mary in this regard. She needs to learn how to receive Jesus. She needs to learn how to spend time with him. She needs to learn to just be. If she had been fully present in that moment with Jesus, do you think she would have said, oh, Jesus doesn't care about me? She would have known. She would have known that she was loved and cared for, for who she is, not just for what she does. And so this should be instructive to us. Her productivity for Jesus, she's doing this for Jesus. Think about this. Her productivity for Jesus does not mean that Jesus will love her anymore. We can work hard for Jesus. He doesn't love us anymore because of that. In fact, Jesus actually tells Martha that she needs to chill out. She needs to relax. She needs to stop doing more. She needs to slow down, hang out, have a cold beer. All right, maybe those words are mine. (laughs) Jesus wants her. Jesus wants relationship. He wants to know and be known. This is the one thing. The one thing that the scripture is saying, this is it. This is what Jesus wants. And so Jesus says that Mary, Martha, was distracted by the many things, but was missing this one thing. And so Mary got the one thing. She's present in the moment. Jesus affirms this about her. She knew how to be present with Jesus. Presumably, she knew how to be present with herself. She understood the one thing that made all the other things happen. She sat with Jesus, hanging on his every word. And Jesus may be saying to us that we, too, need this one thing. Because we're so busy, sometimes even busy, like I said, doing good things, we too can easily miss this one important thing. And we shouldn't be surprised when we end up like Martha, distracted, feeling like we're being pushed and pulled in multiple directions all at the same time. So some Bible scholars say that Martha represents the active life, the life of mission, while Mary represents a more contemplative life. Both are needed and both are good. But to be active in service and mission without spending time with Jesus is like being an uprooted tree. I used to have a rose garden in my front yard. The operative word is used to. One day, I walked out there, and about five of the roses were dried up, withered up, toppled over, dead. Gophers, right? And they were eating the roots from the bottom, And as soon as the roots were severed and the thing just dried up and died within a few more days, I had about 15 rose plants gone like that, right? My precious rose garden was no more. 
This is service without presence. Service without presence ends up dry, burned out. And so I think this is what Jesus is saying, that we can lose the joy and love of relationship with the God who loves us deeply. And so it's the contemplative life, the sitting at Jesus' feet, the listening to his words. Those are things that root us. Our time together in worship roots us. And so as a person for me, like I, when I looked at myself on this, I'm a person who's constantly in my own head. If anyone's done the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 6, which means I spend a lot of time in here, and I can't help it. It's not my fault. It's the way I am. I need to learn to work at presence, being still and making this thing stop churning. Very hard for me. So this passage is really good for people like me. Most of Jesus' contemporaries, Jesus is standing right in front of them, and the Gospels say over and over and over again they did not recognize the real presence that was standing right in front of them. And so I wonder if Jesus isn't also inviting us, us who are worried or distracted, those of us who feel like we're being pulled in multiple directions at the same time, I wonder if he's just inviting us to just be, to just breathe, to receive, to rest, in the truth that we're valued, that we're loved, that we're cared for, and that we're also renewed and strengthened and then sent back out for the hard work of our lives, the work of the kingdom of God. Martha, Martha, you worry about the 10,000 things. So few are needed, indeed, only one. Amen.